What's up, friends? Welcome to Content Matters. My name is Alex. I'm here, as always, with my good buddy, Sean. This is the place, if you are a content creator who wants to work with entrepreneurs, or if you're an entrepreneur who wants to learn how to work better with creatives, this, you're in the right place. We're here for you. Sean, how are you, my friend? Dude, I am doing fantastic. I know you don't know what day it is, but happy Friday. I don't know what day it is. Every day is happy, but I'm glad that it's Friday. Some people really like Fridays. I really like Mondays, but that's okay. Today, I am in... Bogota, Colombia, outside, so you might get a little bit of noise. But I just wanted to make a point. Uh, you have to create content even when it's not super convenient. Even if you don't have a perfect studio, I brought a tripod, I brought my R5, I brought a laptop, I brought all the, the stuff with me so we could make high-quality content even when we're on the road, even when situations are imperfect. And for those who don't know, we, we cut out all the stuff. We've had to try this three times now. We've had equipment fail. We've had – it's just been a mess to record this episode. But that is going to happen to all of you. Everybody, you're going to have equipment failures. You have to learn how to sort of deal with it when it's not easy and get better so that when you do the next one, you, you're constantly improving. But we are consistency is key, which means you're going to have to do it when it's not easy. So we are here. Exactly. Got to stay consistent. It's never going to be ideal circumstance or timing, and you just got to start. If you start now, you're going to be further than you were if you didn't start. So. Yeah, I think the thing that I've learned over the last few weeks is that you know, content is inherently art. And art is iterative. You are going to always get better, and you are always going to start out terrible. And even this set, this like mobile set, you know, in a patio outside with construction going on, the quality is a lot better than when I first started. Me being able to talk to you and our, my ability to, to be a big, you know, good, on, uh, good podcaster, way better than it was five years ago. So even though it's not always perfect, it'll always be imperfect. You're always got to iterate and grow and get better. Yeah, if, if you always just compare yourself to the episode before, even look at the first video, you're going to be like, Wow, I was terrible. So, yeah, and when you compare yourself with people who've been doing it three to five years, it's like, dude, you could be good as good or better than them in three to five years if you did it. But a lot of people just look at it, they go, "I can't be there from day one," so they don't do it at all. So, yeah, really want to encourage people to, like, I'm not perfect. I'm not as consistent as I should be. I don't have a big following. Um, my content, you know, I make mistakes. Sometimes it doesn't look the way I want. I'm still just out there. Just, you know, you just got to tell the world. You get, art is basically showing the world how much you suck today. Tomorrow you'll be better, but today this is how much I suck. Tomorrow I'll be better. But that's, you got to get used to being like, hey, look, look how imperfect I am. Totally. You know, it was interesting that you said that because uh, I, I was talking to a prospective client the other day and he was just like talking about how awkward he feels on camera and that he's terrible and he is comparing himself to Sean Cannell from Think Media. And Sean still has his first video online. And I was like, go watch his first video because if anybody's seen it, he doesn't have his backdrop set up, the light isn't that great. And I was like, you can't compare yourself now to people on their thousandth episode, you know? You know, you just gotta start and get going. 100%, you know, my first YouTube videos were bad. I, I tried so hard to make them look good and I look back, I'm like, that was terrible. And, and now here I am outside, you know, so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you just got to, again, I love that. I just thought about this, but art is, this is how much I suck today. But if you don't, if you're constantly trying to build a huge studio, so it's perfect, it's like, you're never going to get there. You have to put it out in the market just the way it is today. Totally. Well, and then one other thing to just tap onto that. I talked to three different creators, all people who are fairly well known, who have a decent following. And I asked them, Hey, what is it like when you're in your room by yourself filming? Do you feel insecure? Do you have imposter syndrome? Uh, you know, and all of them had a resounding yes. They're like, I always feel like this is dumb. Who's going to watch it? And these are people who are getting thousands of views. So 
the feelings that the beginners have, I think, is similar to the feelings that, you know, maybe even the experts have. I don't know if that'll ever go away because we're always so critical of ourselves. Pro tip, never watch your own content. Never, ever watch your own content. And if you're going to all, at all avoid it, which most of us can't, don't even edit your own content. You know, I hate editing my own content. I'm like, this is terrible. But you put it out there anyways. Uh, I've dealt with, I, I know a lot of high level uh, content creators, obviously Brandon Turner, you know, he's pretty well adjusted, but even he has stuff, you know, he doesn't like everything that goes out as much as he wants to. It's not, it's just always going to be imperfect. Yeah. But done is better than perfect. You're going to be better tomorrow. So just get it out. And that way you can improve. Yeah. So last time we chatted, we were talking about Harmozy's event. It was a few days before we were predicting what he was going to reveal, how much it was going to cost. And uh, I watched it. Did you watch it? Of course, yeah. Everybody watched it. Yeah, it was the Super Bowl of entrepreneurship. And the thing I thought that was so impressive with him is the story he brought us through. You know, the best marketing is proof. And I think without a doubt, he demonstrated that. You know, he took us all the way back from when he was a defense contractor, starting his businesses, you know, having breakups with business partners. It was like the relatability of that with him talking to whether you're an employee or a W-2 or small business, big business, like I feel like he encapsulated everyone watching and got them to feel uh, his likability and relatability. Um, yeah, he did a great job. What I think was most interesting about that, that pitch was that he didn't really pitch anything. Everything he was, he gave away everything for free. And, uh, you know, it was more of a, it was a infomercial. And so what I loved about him was he has the salesmanship of Grant Cardone, right, of some of the best infomercial. But he has the empathy and the humanity and the authenticity of Gary Vee. And I think those two skills are going to carry him into maybe being one of the best entrepreneurs of our generation. Oh, yeah. No, he's so likable. I mean, he looks like a lumberjack that wears Crocs and cut off jeans. It's like I just want to go ask him to get like a beer and hang out and throw darts, you know, <laughs> like you wouldn't think that he's worth what he's worth based on how he acts and looks. Yeah, he's got, he's got it, bro, and, uh, and he's young. So it's gonna be, it'll be a fun journey to watch him. So anybody who wasn't there, you missed out. I did order a hard copy of uh, uh, the exclusive edition of the book and you know, gave him my little $39. And I downloaded the course and watched the, he put all his content strategy on there. We watched it, wasn't anything profound. But uh, yeah, it's been really interesting to, to, to watch that and learn what, how powerful a good webinar is and how powerful a good webinar can be. Yeah, I bought one of the books too. Uh, I knew it was everything was going to be online for free, but I was like, I feel like I owe him something just for all the effort and time and resources that they put into this. And then a little part of me was like, is this going to be worth something someday? You know, this book, if it's a collector's item. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but that's a testament to like, you know, his sort of, um, his, his sort of, uh, oh, your audio, dude, your audio. better now yeah i don't know what's going on we're gonna get rid of that head we're gonna get rid of that microphone today though i know that okay <laughs> yeah um but uh it's a testament to his sort of his sort of approach which is give it's it's the gary v approach it's give 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 and then he didn't even ask for anything or very very little here buy my book you know 39 dollars whatever um and so by the time you give so much value like people i don't want to say they feel indebted or guilty but you know they're very much like this is this is certainly worth the value you've given me so far so here i'll give you 40 dollars 
What do you think of the other online gurus who sell courses or programs thought when he gave everything away for free? You know, I've looked at some of the course that he's given away. It's, it's not that dense. So I think, um, I think there's people that sell online courses that provide a lot more specific value that will still have, uh, that will still have a, a, an audience, a consumer base. Also, I think there's more than just education. You know, at the Better Life Tribe, we provide courses. Brandon Turner, probably the number one real estate educator, uh, of our, certainly of our generation, maybe of all time. Uh, we just came out with a couple of courses, and they're worth something. We don't charge anything for those courses, we, but we do charge access to the community. And I think the access to the community is a way that people who you know charge membership or courses, they give you, hey, here's a community with it. I think that's a way um, to provide an additional value that is worth money, that you know, information basically has become free. It's, but access to people, that's still going to be valuable. In fact, that's going to become more valuable. And also with community, there's a weird function where it's like, sometimes it's just a barrier. If I pay $10,000 a year for an access to a community, is it worth $10,000? Maybe or maybe not, but getting access to other people who are willing to make that commitment and can make that commitment, that's a lot of times valuable. So I think other course creators who are asking a lot and providing a little, they're going to get hurt, but that's just, that's always going to be the case. Um, in capitalism, if you're providing, if somebody else is providing a better product for cheaper, you're going to get outcompeted. Um, do I think it's going to be the end of courses because he gave his away for free? Absolutely not. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think uh, the community and then access to the people within that community, the person who's selling the program is huge. Uh, switching gears here. All right, so I was listening to Gary Vee's Sydney keynote, and they did a pre-event survey, and the biggest issue that everyone was finding uh, in the pre-event survey was they're dealing with motivation and inspiration problems. And I'm curious uh, what you think about that because I was surprised that that was the number one question that people were uh, dealing with. Yeah, me too because I feel, like, I feel like that is not my weakness. I have boundless motivation and inspiration. In fact, I have too much. I need to turn a lot of it off. Can you hear that? So sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're in, I'm in Bogota, bro. This is, this is imperfect. My apologies. Um, they are, they are, they are building stuff. Uh, I have no shortage of motivation and I, my opinion is that usually most people have plenty of motivation. That's what I thought. At least it's the execution and the consistency. That's my weakness is, do you have an idea? I have good ideas every day. I have million dollar ideas every day. I think a lot of people have million dollars every day. Can they convert those into the million dollars? What does that take? That takes strategy goal setting, habits, and consistency. And those are the hardest parts. So I would say I'm very surprised that people would say motivation and inspiration is um, the, the biggest struggle they have because we live in a time where there's, I mean, it's the internet, bro. You, like I said, there's a million dollar idea pops into my head every single day, a couple million dollar idea. I don't know why people have any shortage of that. I'd be, sure. I'm very surprised. Well, I think what you said too, it's like you know the attitude and the habits. And I think once you get started on something, then uh, the motivation behind doing it can compound. Uh, Gary was talking about how he hated school, he didn't get good grades, and uh, everyone thinks the other way around right now, he said, of they're just chasing money, and uh, they're not doing what really makes them happy, and he knows a bunch of mil uh, miserable millionaires. Uh, to me, I think if you can either create quick time constraints within whatever you're doing and make it fun, like make the process fun again or make it ch a challenge, you know, like once I get this done, then I get to go uh, lift weights at the gym. Like those are like little kind of 
I don't know, like mindset shifts that I've done where it's like a lot, like even this morning, right? It's like I stopped drinking coffee before going to the gym. I can only get my coffee after I go to the gym. So now I'm always like, I got to go to the gym because I want to get that coffee. And the coffee tastes better after I go to the gym anyway. So it's like a double win for me. But uh, I was definitely surprised by that too. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Yeah, people say all sorts of wacky stuff. Uh, Motivation, inspiration, definitely not a weakness of mine. Definitely not something short in mine. Uh, You know, having an idea and sticking with it. Also, uh, as far as like unhappy millionaires, it's funny he says that. I, I know some, I know a good chunk of unhappy, stressed out, um, unfulfilled millionaires. I know a lot. I also know a lot of uh, people that are wildly well-adjusted and very, very wealthy. The people who live on Maui, maybe it's just the type of people that get attracted to Maui. But uh, my friends, you know, Brandon Turner, Cam Cathcart, uh, Jeff and Megan Ahern, uh, these people are annoyingly well-adjusted, right? They are very happy. They're raising their kids by the beach. They're making a lot of money. It doesn't stress them out. It doesn't consume them. They feel very good. At the same time, um, you know, they're not artists, they're not really looking for, I don't want to say more out of life, but like they're very, very content with having a small community of good friends, living by the beach, having a business that makes money and raising their kids. And like, that sounds like a, that sounds like it would be a lot. That sounds like it would fulfill most people. I think there is a subsect of, of people, myself included, where I'm looking for something else. Uh, I'm looking to create, uh, I, I'm definitely the tortured artist archetype and you know, I've given up a lot of money. I could go back to real estate and spend a lot more time in real estate and make a lot more money, but I've given that up in search of purpose. Uh, and that I hope I expect, I think will work out financially in the long run, but in the short run, it's uh, it's very, it's very painful. It's a big ego hit. Like you said, because society, American culture says money is the biggest is the, is at the top of the value hierarchy. So go chase money. So, uh, it's definitely, I, I see a lot of, I see, a, I see some tortured millionaires, but I see a lot of like other, other sort of um, archetypes, but I'm, I'm sure there's no shortage. I can only speak to what, what I know. Sure. Well, I think everyone probably in Hawaii has the propensity to just be happier in general because it's so beautiful and the weather's great. Weather's perfect. Uh, people are so nice. Everybody in Hawaii is like, come as you go. Like it's sort of the opposite of Las Vegas, which is everything is flashy and showy and competitive and very superficial, very much like what kind of car do you drive? You know, you know, what kind of camera do you have? How much money do you make? Whose podcast were you on? Who do you know? It's very, very shallow. Maui is like, you show up in shorts and a t-shirt every single day and people take you, they meet you where you are. They don't care what you drive. Nobody drives nice cars. Every car in Maui is a beater or a Tesla. Uh, and everybody just goes to each other's houses. There's nothing to do there except go to the beach and the beach is free. So there's no, there's very little of that, like stressful social pressure of like, you know, the competition of these very empty values, you know, these perceived values, money and status. So in Maui, it's, it's very easy to be happy. Sure. Well, the other thing too, is like, I think people don't always think of like Alex Ramosi, for example, when I was listening to another interview, he was talking about his work schedule. He starts at six, he ends at 12 and then takes a little break and then goes from 12 to six again. It's a 12 hour day, every day, six days of the week. He only takes one day off. Sometimes he'll work half day. And people think like, oh, I want what Alex Ramosi has. I want to be the man. But they don't really realize like his entire life is predicated on working and then he works out and then goes home and that's it. And so it's like, if that's the life you want, sure. But I think a lot of times we don't really realize, you know, the sacrifice. It's a trade-off, you know. You could have all the money in the world, but then you're just always working. 
Yeah, people are holistic. You can't have one aspect of their life without the other. I don't really... Uh, Alex Shamozi is very... He's a very interesting character. He's an inspirational character, but he's not somebody that I emulate. I don't go to YouTube and go, I want to be uh, Alex Shamozi. I want to be more like Peter McKinnon, right? Uh, so I think... I think but, but I think... But, I think a lot of people fall into that trap probably worse than me, uh, in, especially when it comes to money. They want all this money. Uh, and I'm very fortunate that I invested well over the last 10 years, and, and I don't have a lot, but I have, I have enough, and, and I'll certainly die with enough. So when, when you start getting enough money, it, it takes the allure of like, oh, I have more money, and I have the same amount of stress that I did before. So money is not uh, directly correlated with stress, so something else is. So I need to go solve my life's problems in a different way. Money's not going to solve... Money only solves money problems. Um, and then also, I, I'd like to... There's an interesting thing that I, I've learned about people, uh, about Gary Vee and Alex Shamozi specifically. Uh, go to the internet and download the Big Five personality test and take that test. And one of the metrics that it measures is conscientiousness. It's basically like work ethic. My guess is that Alex Shamozi and Gary Vee score off the charts 100% super high conscientiousness. They are very diligent about their work. They pay attention to their work. They think about their work, and they want to complete it to an extremely high degree. And it is built into their – it is a biological marker, right? And so people go, like, I want that life. And I'm like, you are not even built that way, right? Most of us are not built that way. You can't be that way, right? It's not a, it's not a, it's not a choice. It's like, like I said, a lot of it is biology. Now, I'm not making an excuse for people who don't have that sort of biology. But there's a lot of – look, there's a lot of successful people that don't have uh, – that don't work 12 hours a day. There's a in fact, most, most successful people don't, don't have to work 12 hours a day to get there. You just have to be a little, like, find the, find the advantage in the capitalist system. There's always an advantage. So, but I encourage everybody to go out there and download that app, or uh, excuse me, like, find the big five personality test and find out where they are on, the, on, the, on that rating. The other one that goes along with that is neuroticism. Uh, I know a lot of successful people, they're very low in neurotic. They don't dwell on what could go wrong. They just don't. They're not built that way. Uh, house flippers, Ryan Pineda, I bet you he's very low neurotic. My buddy Jay Miranda flips 30 houses a year in Las Vegas. No neurotic. He just doesn't worry about it. Right? Me, I'm high neurotic. I'm always stressing out about things. I'm always worried about things, even when they're not that bad. And so does it make – it probably makes me – it makes me a better artist than a worst entrepreneur. Right? And so I think when people look at Alex Ramosi and Gary Vee and be like, I want to be like this. I'm like, go check your – go check some of these personality tests and see if your biology matches up with that or if – you know, if that's actually what you want and what you'd be best at, or if you're just daydreaming, if you're just fantasizing about somebody who popped up on the internet that seems to be doing well and has really wise things to say, but they're just different than you. And that's not your best use of your time on this earth. So I think it's important to find out like really what you want and who you are and who could, how you could be the best version of yourself. You can't be somebody else. It's never going to happen. So I think it's important to do a little bit of research. And that way, when you find out, Hey, I don't have a super mega high conscientiousness and I do have a high neuroticism. And I, you know, when I read books, I don't read books about business. I read books about philosophy. It's not going to make me any money, but that's what I like. So like, what do you, how much do I want to fight who I am in order to fit into a box that isn't what's best for me? You know? Sure. No, a lot of, you dropped a lot of good golden nuggets right there. Uh, my first question, rewinding it back a little bit. Do you think, because you mentioned you'll, ha you'll die with enough. Do you think when you have that box checked off of, I make enough money, I've saved well, I've invested it, I, I have enough for later in life, does that give any sense of relief? Because uh, I feel like it would. No. Okay. Nope. I stress more about money now than when I was piss broke. Wow. Yeah. You think no. it's because money... you have more to lose? No, because now I know that I know the, I know how to make money. So now I know how much I could be making if I cared more. So now I'm like, oh, 
I could go make another $5 million if I did this, this, and this, but I don't want to do it. But now I'm like, I, now I'm doing this thing that doesn't make money and I'm doing content that nobody sees. I'm like, is this the best use of my time? Is this what I should be doing? So I, I think as I become an artist more, I'm, I'm becoming more and more okay with it, but it's, it's a weird effect. Uh, like I said earlier, money only solves money problems and worrying about money is, how do I say this? So, uh, worrying worrying being a person who worries is not a problem that can be fixed by money so if you're somebody that worries about things you're gonna worry forever wow dude you just <laughs> ripped that one. i think we're similar with like because i'm i'm a worrier too and like you said it probably makes me a worse or and you too you know a worse entrepreneur better artists because i'm always thinking like i like to dream about you know what's the best case scenario what could happen but then i'm also weighing you know the options what about this what about that and uh alex uh in this recent interview alex ramosi they were saying uh you know life isn't something where you can like split test it like once you make a decision no matter what it is everyone always has regrets like if you have the chocolate cake you'll be like oh well, what if i didn't if you don't have the chocolate cake you're gonna be thinking oh i should have had it so hearing somebody say that too kind of like helps me flip the switch where it's like okay like either or it's like the grass is always going to be greener yeah, what's interesting about money, though, I'll say this, is uh, when you ask, like, hey, is this having enough sort of check a box? In, a, in some ways it does, but it's, I, I talked about this on a previous episode. It's not necessarily about having enough. It's about having control. So, like, when money comes in, right, I always do the same thing. I put 20% away into savings, and I put 10% away into, like, the stock market. And then when that money accumulates, I cash it out, and I put it into to real estate. So I follow that process no matter what. And because I'm always doing that, that pile always grows. So even when I'm stressed about money and stuff, it's like, I, I'm, I'm still getting wealthier. And so that control, right, that, that like, I'm not at the mercy of my whim. I'm not at the mercy of like, hey, how am I going to make rent? How am I going to make mortgage? How am I going to eat or buy whatever? It's like, no, first, I always think about future Alex. Now, I ha and that's why I have enough, not an abundance. If I, if I cared more about making money, I'd have an abundance. But uh, in some ways, having control is a better fix than having enough. Wow. Yeah. No, I think when you have a game plan with it, because even I, I start saying that to myself now too, after you're like, I'm taking care of future Alex. I'm like, I'm taking care of future Sean. And I'm thinking of ways how I can get even more aggressive with my savings. Like I've been continuously putting money into the Roth IRA every month. And then I have some other, you know, another 500 bucks a month that I'm just like putting away. And I'm like, how can I get another 500 or 1,000 to just keep putting away and uh, kind of shrink my lifestyle too? Like right now, my girlfriend Trixie and I, we're doing a 30 days no going out challenge with food. So we're cooking everything and we're just like always looking at our spend and like, what can we cut? Every day I wake up and I look at my bank account and I show my fiance the bank account. And it's like, this is what we have. And so you just, it's here. It's like, wait, why, why is it less than yesterday? It's like, well, we ate all this bullshit. And so then you start getting sick. You're like, you're sick of it. You're like, I want to have more money and I didn't care about the food. So I think living a light lifestyle, this is something where I've been very good or I learned how to be good. I wasn't always living a light lifestyle um, is very healthy. There's a word, an ancient word, a very, very valuable word, a word that will make you rich beyond your comprehension that it. America hates, our culture hates this word, but is the secret to almost all future success and your happiness current today. And that word is sacrifice. 
you sacrifice the bullshit, you sacrifice your whims, you sacrifice your impulses, you sacrifice new clothes and nice cars and going out to eat, and society tells you this is all bad. Your bank account, your well-being, your health, your stress, all say this is good. Your spirituality, right? Sacrifice is a very negative word in American culture, but it's the, like, the cornerstone of most ancient religions, has been the cornerstone of like, most, Amer- uh, most like, human problems since the dawn of, of writing. So I, when you say, like, hey, I'm going to give up all my food, I'm like, dude, you're going to feel better physically, right? You're going to feel better emotionally. Your bank account's going to like you, and you're not going to miss anything you gave up. Like, we, we ruin our own lives to, and trade it for bullshit all the time. Sure. Well, so the, the only pain, and this is just me complaining, but it's just more dishes. When you don't go out to eat, you have to do the dishes more. But I'll take that trade off. But especially, too, like, so the last time we did go out before we started this challenge, we went to Bagel Mania, super great place in Vegas. If you like bagels, it's Jewish deli. And I was blown away by the prices because, like, the food was phenomenal. But I was like... You're charging me 20 bucks for uh, tuna locks, cream cheese, bagel, some onions, and a tomato. And like we started making that ourselves. You know, Trader Joe's sells the tuna locks, buy the bagels somewhere else. And we're like, all right, this is like $3 versus 20. Like we could have this every day of the week. Uh, another pro tip I got you for you for food is uh, we cook everything on the grill. So there's Ooh. no cleanup. Okay. We just, we. Go buy a grill from Lowe's for 200 bucks. Every time we want to eat, we just eat. I cook, lately I've been cooking bacon and eggs on the grill. I cook, um, we cook meats like in bulk. We cook vegetables. I put it all in the grill. There's no cleanup. Just scrape it up. Every every week you just dump it out, you know, the grease, whatever. No cleanup, no dishes. We, I mean, very little dishes. Uh, that's, That's been a blessing for us. That way I'm not always, you know, pans are harder to clean and, and all this other stuff. There's less utensils. Like, dude. Grill is a lifesaver, and it's very easy to mass cook. That's a great pro tip. I need to invest in a grill. Right now, we don't have one. I used to have one, but maybe I'll have to get one. All right, we're at 26 minutes. Let's try to, let's try to go a little bit quicker. I'd like, to, I'd like to be done at just around 30, if possible. Sure. Well, what else you got that you're working on? Uh, those were the things I wanted to talk about. I had one other. Um, the Hermosi method for how he works I thought was interesting because I heard Ed Milat recently talk at an event I was filming. It was uh, called Impacts 23 in Denver. He does the same thing. He breaks his days into three six-hour chunks, and he's constantly evaluating. So new kind of framework I'm working on, just doing the Ed style of look at what you worked on in those six-hour increments, but I'm not probably as uh, religious with, like, working 12 hours. I'm just trying to track my time better and see where I'm spending it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I'm not that good at that stuff and nor does it plague me that I'm not, I, I'm, I'm in this phase in life where I'm really trying to become a better artist and find my way. And so, you know, the creative process doesn't work in six hour segments. So I don't stress myself out uh, too much about that. But as we talked about, I sort of have that luxury. Um, but no, right now I'm trying to, uh, well, we're in Columbia for another 10 days and then I'm going to try to uh, we bought it. We rented a studio. We rented an office in in Maui. So I'm gonna turn that into a studio for the Brandon Turner A Better Life podcast and and a bunch of other stuff. I'm gonna paint one of the walls green screen. I'm gonna paint one of the walls whiteboard. We're gonna do a lot of more content uh, that way. Uh, it'll be a fun project to try to trick out a studio. On the side, I've been expanding this Content Matters platform into uh, trying to help people build studio sets. So when they look on, when they're on camera, they they look as I say, your content should look equal to the value that you provide. 
And so if you are providing wonderful value, right, really high level value, you're a long-time real estate investor, you're an entrepreneur, and you're like, I have things to share, but you look terrible. I got a buddy who I see a video of him. He's using a ring light. His white balance off. It's dark. It just looks terrible. I'm like, you're so successful. You have plenty of enough money. You have the smarts, but you look like shit. You look like garbage. Why? And then who's going to take you seriously if you're not taking your presentation seriously? So I think, uh, so I've been, I've been spending time on, on the Content Matters platform, trying to make sure that entrepreneurs look equal to the value they provide. And I've been working with a buddy to do podcast production, uh, one of the best in the world, maybe the best in the world. So I'm trying to find some clients that, you know, same thing, people who, you know, maybe they make co content now or maybe they want to make content. They have a short story to share and they, and they want to do a podcast production to a high level and they want it done for them. So I'm trying to work uh, with new customers and, uh, and, you know, scale that up a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I've been working on. It's just my, my art is my, my, my purpose is bringing art to entrepreneurs. And that's, that's where I've been focused mostly. I love that. I'm excited to see the studio space you guys got. I know you've been harping for a while that you guys need to get an office. So, uh, yeah, we got a great one. Actually, I'm a little nervous, dude. I am nervous because you know, it, it takes a couple of skill sets, right? It takes lighting. I can do lighting. It takes, um, you know, production and equipment and, and I can do that, but it also takes interior design and that's harder. It also takes courage to put a big better life banner on the wall. What if it's gaudy? What if it doesn't look good? What if it looks weird? What if, what if it's, it's too bold? Now the opposite is true too. What if you go into a place and you paint all the walls gray and the floor gray, like people, you know, flippers do this. They paint everything gray. Why? Well, because it's like palatable for people with no personality. Right? It's like, oh, it's unoffensive. I don't want to be unoffensive. I want to, be, I want to make statements. And so if you make statements, then it takes courage because what if somebody doesn't like your statement? And so I'm a little bit nervous going in there. I got to, I got to do a big rehab of this. I got to paint floors. I got to design. I got to decorate. And I got to do it fast. And so I'm a little bit scared, but uh, we'll, we'll put something together. And, we'll, and just like we've talked about all episode, it's iterative, right? The first version won't be as great as the second version. And that's going to have to be okay. If you have to repaint it, you can always repaint it, you know? Uh, yeah, that's it. We're going to repaint it. That's fine. Nice. Well, we hit our 30-minute mark. This was great. One last question. Very important question. Oh. Sony or Canon? Sony all the way, baby. What are you, sh Sony. This what is, are you shooting this these days? Sony. I got an A7S III right here. And then this is the 2. This is my other B cam. This thing's a tank. I got this in like 2015, 2016. Still use it. Love this thing. Although one of these like younger kids at one of these events who's wanting to be a YouTuber since he was eight was like, that's the A7S II? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, that thing's kind of old. And I was just like, yeah, it was made when you were born. Like, shut up. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, not, it's not the lens you carry. It's what you do with it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, what's interesting right now is I'm going through trying to help people build sets, and Canon does not have great offerings right now. The Sony, uh, the Sony cameras are cheaper. They, a lot more of them beat the 30-minute recording limit, and more importantly, because Canon's going through the big change between the EF and the RF lens systems, um, there, are no, there are currently no third-party lenses for the RF mount. So I can't tell you to go get a Canon R10, which would be a plenty good enough camera, or an R7, plenty good enough camera and then go buy a Sigma lens. There are no Sigma lenses for, um, Canon. And I have to tell you, I'd have to tell you to buy an EF, 
you know, uh, Sigma lens and then an EF to RF mount. And then it's like, why do all that? And it'd still be more expensive than a Sony version. So right now, uh, Canon is better. Canon is better. Unless you're a beginner uh, trying to do content, I'm like, just go get a Sony. They work just as good. They're easier to use. They're not easier to use. They're, uh, they're cheaper. And, th and there's a lot more options. So I'm, I'm sort of, uh, I'm giving a little bit of, a little bit of credence to Sony right now, but not because they're better, because they're cheaper. I, I'm going to clip that and post it so everyone knows you've joined. <laughs> no! <laughs> yeah, no, I do think the Sony cameras, especially for YouTube's cheaper setup, something where you can just set it as a point and shoot, they got some really the nice e ones that are affordable. The ZV-E10, that's like the hotness right now. Yeah. yeah. Everyone yeah. has that. I've told like three different people to get that. They're like, what's a good starting camera? Yeah, and it's got the E-mount lens, yeah. Uh, also, I would like to note, I'm going to say this last thing and then we'll close. I would like to note that my battery did not die today. Uh, what? Crushed it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> One All in a row, baby. Comments. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Dude, that was All right, great. my dude. Hey, um, great to talk to you. Let's do this again before too long. Yeah, maybe uh, next Monday. Yeah, next Monday. Cool. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks for watching, everyone. Thank you. If you like this, Drop a comment if you're Team Sony. We need to show Alex that Sony is better. Your opinion does not count. <laughs>